0: Well, God has cleansed you of your sins, God has renewed his promises by putting his name on a child before us, and now the Lord himself will speak with you. Hear now the word of the Lord from Romans eight thirty-one through 39. Thus saith the Lord, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are not a God who is silent, not a God who has left us to ourselves, but that you continue to speak to us. We pray, Lord, that your word would be uh, renewing and resurrecting this morning, that we would be more like your son, Jesus, because we heard your word this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you're anything like me, then you are sore from sleeping on a camp bed for the last few days. As we come into uh, God's presence, one of the things um, that in the modern world we really have a hard time uh, wrapping our heads around in understanding and learning how to deal with is guilt. And Part of the reason, or central to the reason of why we have such a such a hard time dealing with guilt, is because we have a different definition of guilt than the Bible does. We come to the Scriptures with a particular understanding of guilt that is not taught by the Scriptures. And so when we come to passages about guilt, when we talk about justification, we end up with a, uh, with, with a different understanding of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross than what's actually being taught to us. Now, um, our definition of guilt actually goes back to a German philosopher named uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. And he Uh, was uh, an atheist, he was a materialist, and he looked at the scriptures and he said, the most dangerous thing about the teachings of the Bible is its teachings about guilt. And he said, because in the scriptures, the scriptures teach that guilt is a metaphysical reality. That guilt has to do with a legal, objective problem between us and the court systems of God. That God is a judge, and we have broken uh, his law, and therefore we are criminals that are guilty. And he said, it would be much safer for the world if it thought of guilt as, a, as an emotional and psychological state. Now, how many of you think of guilt as an emotional and a psychological state? Yeah, we all do, right, because of the the effect that Nietzsche has had. And then one of his central disciples was a man named Sigmund Freud, um, who then wrote a number of books about how guilt is a psychosis. Right, the guilt is a psychological problem that is caused by society having a different standard than than your uh, id, your central desires. He right? said, and then guilt is what's formed in between, and we call that the ego. He <laughs> said, and we have all accepted that definition unknowingly because it is the broad definition that our culture teaches. Nietzsche was absolutely right that one of the most dangerous things about Christianity is its teachings about the metaphysical nature of guilt. Its teaching that guilt has to do with committing a crime against the courts of God's law. But one of the things, though, about that is once you come to understand that, passages like this one in Romans 8 come alive In a brand new way. Paul teaches, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not be able to graciously give how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul says, We're approaching God, right? We're approaching God he said, which God is it? How do we know this God? Which, what's the nature of this God? Which God are we talking about? The God who gave his own son, Jesus Christ. Now we talked about this. If we want to know God, if we want to know what he's like, if we want to know about him, we look at Jesus. Jesus is the full revelation of God, of the triune God. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? How does he know that? Because the nature of God revealed in Jesus Christ is that God gave Jesus, and Jesus gave himself for us. He said, if he gave us his son, then everything else, which is of of infinitely less value than Jesus, how can we not think that he's going to give us everything? Because if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have more than the man who has everything but doesn't have Jesus. So if God has already given us his son, how can we not believe that he will graciously give us all things? Well, what's the thing that gets in the way of that? Why do we think he might not give us all things? Well, it's because of our guilt. It's our sin that gets in the way. God began by giving Adam and Eve all things. You have dominion over all of this. Just don't eat that fruit. So you have dominion over it all. He says, God is that kind of God. He gives us all things. But the, things that, the thing that makes us think, well, maybe he's not going to give us all things, is the guilt of our sin. Which is why the question comes next. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And this is, that, this is the, the legal question. Who is it that could bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that can condemn us? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. He says, when you come before the judgment seat of God... And you stand up and you look at the throne and you look, at, you look at the one sitting on the throne preparing to judge. Who is it that you're going to see there? He says, you're going to see Jesus. He's the judge. He says, what do we already know about Jesus? Well, Jesus is also the one who died for us. Jesus was the king and he was the priest. Because he was the king, he could be our representative sacrifice. We were united to him. Because he was the priest, he could be the one that offered the sacrifice. And so he offered himself as a sacrifice. He's been raised from the dead. Now he's seated on the throne, and you're going in to stand before the judge, and you look up, and it turns out to be the one that took away your sins in the first place. He said, There's no room left for any condemnation. The judge is already your Savior. In fact, the judge is the one who's been sitting there talking to God the Father on our behalf for all of this time, interceding for us. He turns out to also be our defense attorney. He says, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? There's no space left. There's no no space for anyone to get in there, for anything to get in there between us and the love of Jesus. He said, tribulation can't do it. Stress, can't do it. That's the hard one for me. Worry. Persecution, can't do it. That's what I've been hoping for my whole life. I just want to go to jail for Jesus so bad. Famine, can't do it. Nakedness, having nothing. Shame, can't do it. Danger can't do it. Violence can't do it. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And at this point, Paul knows that he's dealing with people that are going to have a hard time believing that. It's hard to believe that nothing is getting between us and the love of Christ. And so Paul quotes Psalm 44 in order to prove it. For for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's verse 22. I want to back up just a little bit and read from verse 17. The psalmist, sons of Korah, they're living after Solomon's day, and and the the people of God are being sent off uh, into exile. And and it's a hard time. But while they're there, they've established... Um, they've, they've established synagogues and they're, they're restoring the worship of the people of God. They've been repenting. They're reading God's people, leading God's people in worship. And he says, all this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten thee. Neither have we dealt falsely in your covenant. Our heart is not turned back. Neither have our steps declined from your way. Though you have sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death, if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Yea, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, you sleepers. O Lord, arise, Cast us, off not, cast us not off forever. Wherefore, ye hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression. For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaves unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Psalm 44 has the exact same argument God, we know your character. In fact, it begins by saying, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. He says, we know all the stories, Lord. We know the way that you've always stepped in to rescue your people. We know the way you've parted the Red Sea before us. We know the way that the giants fell and, and crashed in the land. We know the sound, uh, we, we've heard of the sound that the rock that struck Goliath's head made when it Smote the giant. We know the stories. You step in, Lord, for your people. And they look around and they say, So where's it coming from? Because we're surrounded. We're stuck. It must be for your sake that we're counted as sheep for the slaughter by these people. But we know that you are coming to rescue us. In fact, the promise in Micah is that God's people will go off into exile; that they will become uh, the sheep of, of, of God's. They will become the the, sh- the sheep of God, the shepherd again. They will be gathered together to the shepherd again by the exile, because they had been scattered by their own sins. So the exile turns out to be the way that God gathers His sheep together back into uh, His flock. And then he says, while you're in exile, my flock of lions will become, my flock of lambs will become lions that turn and cannot be overcome by my enemies. He says, arise for our help to end the psalm and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. So the logic of the psalm that Paul quotes now turns us to the next verse. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is not only do we not need to fear about standing before the throne of God who as a judge because the same one that's going to judge us turns out to be the one that died on the cross for us. It says when we stand before him, he transforms us into conquerors. That's what the love of God does to his people. We are his sheep that become his lions. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God for you cannot be overcome. You cannot be separated from the love of God. Now, so often, I mean the the reason that Paul has to first deal with guilt before he can make this declaration is because it's so often we think about our sins and we think, man, I am the worst. I'm the worst of sinners. And if these people knew, they would scooch down the pew for me. We think of our sin and we think of how powerful it is. And we let the guilt convince us that our sin is more powerful than the grace of God. But who can bring a charge against God's elect when we see We were just in the 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 uh, fifty thousand silver dollar bar recently, driving back home from from uh, Montana, and we stopped in because I'm a I'm a I'm a sucker for places like that. And you go in and it's just a it's just a tourist trap, and I'm like I love it. And uh, there was this whole series of mugs and t-shirts and placards and things that all had the same phrase. Jesus is coming, look busy. And I thought, that's kind of funny, right? It is kind of funny. But we've talked about a lot of different movies. We've talked about The Princess Bride. we talked about zombie movies. I want to just talk about one more movie In conclusion, Elf. I've got a couple of favorite moments in that movie. One of them is when uh, Buddy the Elf learns that Santa is coming. And he's like, Santa's coming? I know him. (laughs) Here he comes. Santa! Santa! Every time it cracks me up. I also like when he tries to put the star on top of the tree and jumps and knocks the whole thing down. It's hilarious. Right. Santa's coming. I know him. The point that Paul is making is, yes, the judge is coming. Jesus is coming. But don't worry. You know him. Right? Right? You don't have to worry about him coming and judging your sins. You know him. He died for you. He was raised for you. He ascended into heaven. He's been praying for you. You've been praying to him. You've been hearing from him for years from, uh, on Sunday mornings. He put his name on you in baptism. You've been eating with him week in and week out. You know him. You don't have to worry about the guilt. It's been taken care of. Death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, heights, depth. There's nothing that can get between you and the love of Jesus Christ. Because he died for you and he took away your sins already. There's nothing left. And so, when we come to the table in just a moment, we can come in complete confidence and we can eat with our Savior knowing that someday he'll be our judge, but he is a God who justifies. So there is no longer any charge that can be laid against God's elect. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there is no condemnation. We thank you that there is no condemnation because Jesus already swallowed all of the condemnation for all of our sins and left it in the grave. Lord, we know that your spirit is with us and it is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on that third day. Father, we pray that your spirit's resurrection power would be present and active in our lives. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. We pray that you would make us more and more like him. That the generations that come from us would be more and more like him. That the cities that we live in would be more and more like him. So that the condemnation that this world runs on would come to be less and less known. And that the declaration of grace and the name of the king of kings would be the name that is above every name. In our lives, in our cities, in our state, in our nation. Lord God, we pray that you would make your son's name known. We pray these things in his name. Amen.